Greetings, Parachauvins and Retrogrades. I've got an exciting episode of Rules for Retrogrades today dealing with the specific question, an alarming question, is focus, which some of you might not even understand what that is. Focus, is it propagandizing young women and I guess to some extent young men? With me today to discuss the question is a great friend of the show, a young convert as part of Young Converts Week, a John Jay Fellow, also a Shaftesbury Fellow with First Liberty, a young married, a young based married woman who was actually the research assistant and partial editor for the second edition of Ask Your Husband, Lauren Demler. Thanks for being here today, Lauren. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, you're you're uh, in a unique position because I think you watch all the shows and you have eyes and ears, as they say, on the ground. And a lot of times what what folks who, who don't know me or Steph don't understand about the show is as much as we've got tentacles out for Rome and the Vatican, we've got some tentacles out into parish life. We don't really know what's going on with the young evangelical arm of the church on colleges. And that Leviathan is very powerful in the mainstream sort of normie church. It's called focus. And what we're going to talk about today is a focus document for Bible studies, I guess, geared toward young college women that says that uses some really, really, really harsh language about St. Paul in what he says in inerrant scripture, specifically that it's like really damaging to young women. We're going to talk some about Ephesians 5 and some of the propaganda that happens there. I was alarmed when you pointed this out to me. What do you, you, you want to just, by way of opening shot, explain what this is, then we'll work back around to it later. Yeah, so it's actually geared towards men and women. So this could be damaging for both sexes for the man to be told, you know, that he shouldn't be a man and a woman to to say that she should be a man. But anyway, focus, um, like you said, is a, a missionary outreach for college campuses. And this Bible study that I've been doing is uh, with college students uh, here in Mississippi. Um, but yeah, we're going over the theology of the body and working through um, some of the key uh, the key passages from that, and Ephesians five being one of them. And you know, apparently they don't want to teach what what Paul actually says there. They want to teach, um, you know, it's the uh, what's the submission, mutual submission that JP two teaches and everything. So yeah, that's kind of the the big picture of what's what focus is and what's going on here. Specifically, we'll work back around to this because I want to talk about your story. You worked through soft feminism, which even as a lifelong conservative and a lifelong Christian before you converted to being a Catholic, you still, you found that you had more infiltrated feminism floating around in your phantasms than you realized. And I want, I want to talk about how you made your way out of that. But first, I just want to say, because it's the call of the show, and to some extent, the call of the question, this document by Focus that you texted me the other night, it says, uh, I can put it up on the okay, cool. Can we do that? What, yeah. what does St. Paul tell wives to do? And the response is to be subject to their husbands. Yes. I just had a show come up on Saturday. These are pre-recorded, but Saturday's show uh, reverse propagandized, unpropagandized everyone out there, how much scripture and magisteria there is saying, yes, this is the number one teaching for family life is that husbands must be good kings and wives must be submissive handmaidens, shield maidens. So what does St. Paul tell wives to do? Response, to be subject to their husbands. Now look at the note, if you folks out there would. Lauren sent me this I think four nights ago, many commentators have used this verse to justify a sinful male dominance. Now, there's a lot of questions that arise out of this, but focus in the mainstream church have a major hand in 
irrespective of how they would defend against my charge, they have a major hand in characterizing male dominance as inherently sinful, I would say, in my opinion. Um, now, if they're using sinful in the partitive sense, which would be correct, I guess technically there's a sinful male dominance and a non-sinful male dominance over females. And that's what St. Paul is talking about. We'll get to that parsing in a little bit, but uh, Steph looks I'm like just, she has I'm just to say. laughing at this, uh, what's on the screen here. It's what does St. Paul tell wives to do? Response, one sentence. Be subject to your husband. Focus his response, 12 sentences. Yeah. Refuting, yeah. refuting St. Paul. <laughs> yeah, refuting St. Paul. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's an embarrassment to the church, isn't it, Lauren? We'll, we'll talk about this more at the end. But it, for starters, I mean, you're a young convert, a young married, which is based. Isn't this, didn't you come to the church so that the church wouldn't be embarrassed of its one teaching? Isn't this the, the greatest treasure of the one true faith is that it's, it teaches exactly what it taught 2,000 years ago? Yeah, it really is. When I was making my way into converting to Catholicism, the big question I had was, who gives us the authority to interpret scripture the way that it should be interpreted? I mean, that's the big Protestant question, I'd say. Yeah. And you cannot find a reason to think anything outside of the Catholic Church, because it's the one true church established by Christ that has been um, teaching the same thing, like you said, for 2000 years. So to see a, a very successful and nationwide group like Focus um, say something like that to uh, a teaching of the church that's been well established is is very alarming for our generations. Yeah, first off, would you explain to folks what focus is, Lauren? A lot of a lot of the the people that are Gen X or even millennials might not know what it is because it wasn't as big a presence on college campuses when we were in college. Yeah, I think it was started in the late 90s, early 2000s, but basically it's um Students who have recently graduated college uh, will go to different colleges and uh, teach about um, the faith and try to, you know, convert students. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the gist of it. Yeah. At my campus, you know, it was two guys and two gals, uh, and they would, you know, have Bible studies and they have social gatherings, um, lead adoration, have conferences and stuff. So they do a lot. They're a national organization with, you know, hundreds of placements around the country. So they're, they're definitely some of the people that are changing hearts and minds um, with the Catholic faith. So they do, they do at least largely good work, you're saying? Yeah, definitely. The time that I had in focus was, was great. And um, they're definitely more of your conservative, less, a little bit normie, but much less normie kinds of people willing to to be rooted in the tradition of the faith. So can we talk about being a um, lifelong conservative Christian who, who came late to the Catholicism party, if you call it that, it feels more like a pride party sometimes these days, but you came late to the party, you converted and you got married young, which is super based. You didn't understand that feminism had infiltrated secular conservatism, Protestant Christian conservatism, and now even so-called Catholic conservatism, if focus counts in that category, Catholic conservatism. Can you talk some about this? I mean, let's, let's talk some about that in general, and then in regard to your particular conversion. Yeah, uh, my conversion, I guess, to Catholicism went hand in hand with my conversion to anti-feminism. Uh, and yeah, so, you know, I already talked about my conversion a little bit, but getting into the anti-feminist bit, um, I grew up in a Protestant Christian household that was, it was LCMS, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. So it was a more conservative um, group of Christian sect of Protestantism. And uh, yeah, it was, I was always encouraged to have a career to, um, you know, to, follow the, the feminist ideals. Um, and it was never really questioned in our household at all. Um, my mom though, was a stay at home mom that gave up, you know, whatever she was doing once she got married and had kids, um, and proudly said it was the best decision she ever made. So it's really interesting that for me and for my sister, 
it was always kind of encouraged to have a career to maybe do better than what they could do. Um, my parents could do and, um, you know, live, live a more feminist lifestyle in, in a career and, and providing for ourselves, pushing off marriage and things like that until we got ourselves settled. So all of that to say, um, you know, the, the Protestant conservative, the conservative world is very, very feminist. I mean, even yeah. as you were listing my accolades for John Jay and for Shaftesbury Fellowship, you know, every conservative organization is looking to increase uh, the women that are in power, uh, kind of that intersectionality idea to get women speaking up for women's rights and, and conservative ideals as if uh, more women need to be in, in that sphere of life. So it's, it's so infiltrated. It's not even funny. Two, two interesting remarks that you made in this last answer, Lauren, that represent or stand for the proposition of extreme cognitive dissonance, not on your part, but on conservatism's part. One, you said what a lot of moms, mothers of people your age, even people my age say, they were stay-at-home moms and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ashamed of this, but I want my daughters to go to work. That's one bit of cognitive dissonance. The second one is that you said, even I think you agree with me because we've talked about this before. Catholicism is maybe the worst infiltrated with feminism of all Protestants, secular conservatives, Catholics. But you converted at the same time to anti-feminism and Catholicism. So maybe maybe would you address those couple of things? First, first off, why do so many moms say that? Secondly, isn't it strange that you converted to anti-feminism as you converted to Catholicism? I really don't know why so many moms that are stay-at-home moms tell their girls to go have careers. Like you're Weird. living the high life over there by taking care of your husband, by, you know, taking care of your kids. I know that my mom loved being able to be around for us 24 seven. I always knew I could call her and yeah, it is just so strange. But I think, um, I think part of that too is, you know, where there's always that kind of boomer mentality of, get more money, get more things for yourself. You know, you're, you're going to want to set yourself up for financial stability and all that stuff. And I think that's what's crept in that um, really, I think, continues to push this feminist idea in Protestantism, secularism, and uh, Catholicism, even if you're a conservative, because they're all about fiscal, fiscal responsibility. Um, yeah. So, I, I, to me, that's that's the big thing. What was what was the other thing that you asked? About? Sorry to layer questions like that. No, I was just okay. saying, aren't you aren't you freakish that as you came into Catholicism? I mean, if we talk about the stabilizing forces of Western civilization, Catholicism's the greatest, obviously, right? Then you have Protestantism, which was a at first a destabilizing force, but in America over the last two hundred years, especially the last hundred, it's been a stabilizing force. So there's Catholic Christianity, Protestant Christianity, and then also in America we have this strange amalgam freak philosophy that doesn't know whether it's a dog or a cat called secular conservatism, which is mm -hmm. dying out. But of those three, I typify anyway, and I, I think you agree, Catholicism is in many insidious ways the worst infiltrated by feminism, even though it should be the stablest and the most fast against it. And yet you, I mean, assuming that you agree with me, because we've talked, you came into Catholicism, arguably the worst infiltrated, at the same time that you became a staunch anti-feminist. And the whole time you never thought you were a feminist. I, I just asked you to, you know, what, what, what do yeah. you think of that? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was crazy. I, I was like, oh, no, I'm not a feminist. I, I don't think all the third wave feminism stuff, I definitely don't believe in any of the tranny stuff or the homosexual stuff, all that, you know, you, yeah. you just, it's just so baseline. Everybody believes that women should work everybody, what, you know, whatnot. Um, but, uh, I, I think it's like you were saying, so jarring to see the Catholic church fall into this feminist, uh, ideal because uh, it's it's just so it's so clear that it, they're trying to push towards the way that society is going and the Catholic Church has always been no we stand for the truth we stand here we're anchored here 
And it doesn't matter kind of what the winds of change push around, we're not going to be uh, brought in that direction. And I think that's, that's just such a jarring position to be, you know, a Catholic, anti-feminist Catholic, because you're looking around and you think that this is the safe place. This is a place where uh, the truth should stand firmly and it, and it just, it doesn't. But, um, but the fact is too, that, you know, Protestant circles, the push for female uh, pastors and things like that is very strong and growing ever stronger. Um, So, but I guess maybe just because of Roman Catholicism's connection to truth and, and dying on every hill of truth is, is what makes it so jarring and, and difficult. I was just talking to a close mutual friend of both of ours about how, and he's a revert, how mm-hmm. jarring it is that the one fixture of Western civilization, the Roman Catholic Church, which is the almost the sole desideratum for most smart young people's reversion to the faith, or in your case, your conversion to the faith, the fact that it doesn't change. And then when you see not just what Francis has done, even what JP2 has done with regard to the death penalty, feminism, we have all four female doctors of the church. I think maybe you, you're the one that researched this for us. Maybe I'm, for, I'm misremembering. Uh, they've all been since Vatican II. The church has an embarrassment of riches. It's embarrassed by its wealth and its basedness and its red-pilledness. And this is, this is really sad. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if um, you've heard of the Italian Prime Minister, Georgia Maloney. Conservatives are losing their mind over the fact that she said, family should be rooted in your mother and father and your religion. It's like, well, I I think she's Catholic. And it's like, great speech. Why didn't your husband give it? How how rooted are your husband and your kids in your house making, homemaking, if you're at work? You know, how, how how does this all work? And how does it work for Catholics? Yeah, I know it's 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 really ridiculous. When I heard that she won, that was this. I had a very similar thought of, wait, don't you have kids? Why are, why are you here and not and not somebody else with the same ideas who just happens to be a man? Um, and I think that too about like the Daily Wire and having Candace Owens like you know just had two babies, bring her back. Come on, what is a woman? Let's let's talk about what a woman is really and and stop pretending like women can be men. Um, outside of the home uh, and be outside of the home because they can't. Women are supposed to be in the home. They're supposed to be good wives taking care of their husbands and uh, good mothers taking care of their children. And they just, you can't do that as an absentee parent. Yeah. And as an absentee, absentee wife, wife. I mean, again, don't, don't, don't hear us wrong. Parish orphans and retrogrades out there. Yeah. Everything that Georgia Maloney said is cool. Most of the things that Candace Owens says are cool. We love them. Uh, you know, I'm speaking for Lauren a little bit here now, but I, I think all of us, parish orphans, retrogrades, folks with half a brain, you realize this is plainly true. But by Candace Owens saying them, by Georgia Maloney saying them, it's a betrayal of the proposition stood for by the words. And here's, here's what I mean. The left works by false opposition, by controlled opposition. What the, le- the reason the left always wins, if you folks out there don't know, is because what they do so successfully is pit leftist ideas from two and three generations ago, feminism, against their own leftist ideas from this generation, transgenderism. How, what do I mean? Just go watch the Georgia Maloney speech, right? The, the left pits a false dichotomy their own ideas from two and a half generations ago, feminism, starting in second wave feminism is what we're talking about, you know, uh, 1970 feminism, against transgenderism. And now Daily Wire and all everybody I saw on Twitter, even a trad Catholics are like cheering. Oh, go get them. Go get, go get trans. Go get LGBT. This lady's awesome. She's based. The idea is based, if I saw it, between the four corners of a document. But that, I know, it's coming from the mouth of a working mother. Pius X says women should not be in parliament. It's fundamentally disordered. I I produced this document uh, two days ago on the show, along with like 100 other Catholic documents, which strongly, strongly refute the idea that a woman can act like a man. 
that's what we object to it. Did, right, Lauren? As, a, as an empowered young married woman, don't you agree? <laughs> no, I, I completely, completely agree. Uh, it is, it is really hard to take these conservative men seriously when they're cheering on women doing what they should be doing or what other men should be doing. Uh, and I, it's, I don't know how conservatives win the culture war, win anything, if they're not going to turn back time to remember not even, you know, 50, 60 years ago, back when wives and women would stay at home and, and be, be good at, at taking care of the home of, of staying out of society for the large part. Um, it, we just have such short memories of what the truth is uh, and what life used to be like and how, how much better it was for, for uh, families when the wife was at home. Um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't see how the conservative movement continues without addressing this fundamental issue because um, feminism, I think, really is the fundamental issue of our time. It is. It's the third rail. It's why Steph and I, you know, we went through last spring. It was rough mm -hmm. uh, as a friend of the family. It's really, really rough. A couple things. Remember that old joke like uh, heads I win, tails you lose. This is how false dichotomies work. This is what the left is so great at doing. They stormed all eight or nine institutions of culture. And with those eight or nine institutions of culture, they make conservatives think they have a choice. And it's a false choice because it's pick either this leftist idea from two generations ago, feminism, or pick this leftist idea from this generation, transgenderism. I mean, when I hear a young person like you, Lauren, I, I, I'm making myself sound older than I am, but I'm, I'm old <laughs> enough. When I hear a young person like you, and I know your story, I know your, your, your faith journey. Your heart. I know your, your, your heart journey. Um, the, the journey of your love pump, your heart, as, as someone like probably Father, Father James Martin SJ would, would be inclined to call it. It makes me proud when I, I mean, even step, like, let me just say this, Steph and I are, are, are proud to know you. You're a very bright young woman as the world judges, as we judge, uh, all kinds of fellowships. We're on your way. You have mutual friends with me, even, you know, law professors that have appeared on the show know of you and think very highly of your scholarship. And you chose, I want to talk about this in a second. I'll give you something to, to think about while I, I run some plugs. Mm -hmm. You chose to be married at home. And I don't think you see that as a great sacrifice. Same thing with Steph. Steph is, Steph is a very, very bright woman. Now, I never say powerful in her case or your case. Very, very strong, independent woman. Yeah, see, then you get into, <laughs> then you get into fictions, right? Strong, independent, right. But, but very bright. I mean, pe people see it when Steph comes on the show. People are seeing it with you now. Like, Steph and I were trusting you to help us get the second edition together fast because you're, you're good. Everyone that you come across says, wow, bright. I want you to think about, I want to talk about being young and married after we come out of this. But for now, I want to remind the parish of retrogrades out there, please subscribe to this channel. You don't even have to hit like for this video. We'll give you a break from that. But subscribe to the channel. We're trying to hit 40,000 within the month. I don't know if that's realistic. We want to hit 50,000 by mid-year next year. We're setting some goals here. We'll, we'll do a party retrograde style if we hit 50,000 before, before June 30th of next year. But uh, do that for us. Also support the channel. Go to patreon.com, Timothy J. Gordon. This is how you support the show. Obviously buy our books. And how you support yourselves Get out of your blue state. Get to a red state. Go to realestateforlife.org. Someone there who's pro-life and probably Catholic will aid you in getting out of your blue state, whether it's California or New York or any of the other insane places, insane LGBTQ plus run hell holes, hell pits where, that are called blue states. Get out today. Get to a red state. Go to realestateforlife.org. Org. So, Lauren, tell me about, you already talked some about your conversion to Catholicism. I want to get to fo the focus issue because this is the call of the question, but forget converting to Catholicism. Can you describe converting to being someone that wants to be a young married that doesn't want to date 
her boyfriend for like nine years and then get married when you're old and, and gray and uh, half barren or whatever? Yeah, no, I, uh, I've always wanted a big family and, and all that stuff. So that was always on the forefront of my mind of getting married and getting married quickly. Um, just so blessed to have met my husband now and that he helped bring me into this, uh, into the truth. Um, but yeah, when you were talking about the sacrifice of, of that a woman would have to give up something for being at home and, and all that, I would have to agree that there was really no sacrifice, um, once my brain fog cleared from, from the feminist propaganda. But yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I was on my way to being a lawyer to, to all of uh, that career and wanting to do religious liberty law and uh, realized that if I'm going to convert to Catholicism and I'm going to, you know, take the faith seriously, then I am bound to uh, what the church has taught for, for years, for millennia in both scripture, Holy scripture and in sacred tradition. Um, and it is just so evident and clear, uh, when you read the church fathers and when you read, uh, any of Paul's epistles that it is, um, it is the duty of the woman to be at home, to, to love her family. Um, so the sacrifices that came at the beginning of realizing, oh, I'm not going to have that anymore. Just paled in comparison to the joy that I would have, you know, being protected and provided for by my husband, um, by getting to change the culture in some way, just through changing how my kids view the world, um, by teaching them to be good little anti-feminists. And, you know, I sure as heck don't want to send anybody to any school that isn't uh, the Demler School of Learning. So uh, homeschooling was always going to be on the on the docket. And, it can't happen if, you know, the woman's not home to, to facilitate that. So yeah, all of the sacrifices that might've come, uh, from giving up a career or just pale in comparison to all the joys that I'll be receiving have already started receiving now that I'm married, but two, when we start a family, um, and I'll just note this as well. Uh, while I worked, um, it was awful (laughs) and it was a job that was, you know, a, uh, at a Southern more conservative university, although conservative and university don't think go together, um, and kind of fighting the power, uh, as a conservative institution on a college campus. Um, so even, even in a job like that with a great boss, still just so glad to not have to work anymore. (laughs) Right, right. I mean, a little bit more biographical info where we want to protect all your guys' bio and info, but your name's out there now. Like we mentioned, we we went to your wedding a couple months back, and it was it was very very special. And since then, anytime I talk to you and your husband, who's your husband is is very dear to me. You two are like family to us, uh, Steph and me. Um, it's like, wow, our, our relationship has been great when we were dating and engaged, but it is a whole new level. Steph and I were talking, hearing you on the speakerphone the other night when you're telling me about this focus nonsense. Like every time I talk to you or your husband, you're thrilled. It's just so fun to be young and married, isn't it? It's amazing, right? It's fantastic. I'd recommend it to anybody. I mean, we're you know, in the prime of our lives or whatever, and we get to share it together. Um, life is just so much easier being married. It's, I mean, and it's just so much more fun to be able to have someone to do life with, um, to, to walk aside alongside all these things. And we have, you know, our whole, our whole life ahead of us and we get to choose, you know, what's going to happen to us together. And it's, I mean, it's really amazing. Yeah. Cause he's finishing up school and, so the fact that we have, you know, kind of the world is our oyster and we're, we're in it together. It's just, just the best, the best feeling. Yeah. And that's, what about the propaganda out there? Oh, you have to be totally done with school before you get married and you have to have like a, a billion dollar or no, sorry, 1.2 gorillion dollars in the bank before you get married in that voice. They always say, yeah, it is. It is such a lie. I mean, the amount of help that we've had from people in our lives, including you guys is, it just makes it like a no brainer, you know, get married, don't wait, 
don't worry about school and paying for things. You'll find a way, you know, you can live on nothing and, and realize that it's a lot more than you thought it was. So yeah, the, like I've said, the sacrifices with giving up feminism, the sacrifices of getting married, just pale in comparison to the joys and all the blessings that you get from, from jumping headfirst into that life. One more question before we get to the, the focus stuff proper, Lauren. There, there are TikTok accounts by young female influencers that have blown up in the last four months where it's like, hey, here's my daily schedule. I wake up with my husband. I'm young and married. I make him breakfast. Then I go work out. Then I come home and I take a nap. Then I go visit him for lunch. Then I get up and some, some of these influencers say they go work out again. I mean, good for them. And then I come home and I start making dinner and I do, I, I forget what, read or garden. And then my husband comes home from work and I've made him dinner and we have a great time. And my life is a billion times better than young, empowered working females. And there's no mention of kids at that point even. I, I know I'm not, I'm not saying that that aspect is right because kids usually naturally come along quite shortly after getting married. If you do it the right way, the Catholic way, the non-contraceptive way. But isn't there something to be said for even these anti-woke Catholics that are like, oh yeah, women should stay home with their babies. What about staying home for your home and your husband in a pre-babies world, in a pre-babies marriage? Oh yeah, I, I totally agree. The Number one, it's in the magisterium that that's what we're supposed to be doing. So, you know, get get with the program on what the truth and what your church teaches. But there's just not enough time in the day for, you know, for a woman to be working and giving herself to a boss, uh, usually a male. Right. And kind of having her time between home and home and work. Um, it's just not uh, it's just not feasible. And um yeah, a man, a man needs that to come home to. And your lives are so much better when both people don't have to come home at the end of the day, exhausted from what they were doing with, you know, people that weren't each other. And um, yeah, the, the wife being home is just so, so helpful to making sure that the home runs smoothly, that, you know, everybody can relax when they're there, that it's a beautiful place to be. I mean, yeah, there's, there's just no reason for a woman to work when she's married. I always laugh when people talk about the whole working thing with women because I'm like, who wants to work? It's so boring and dull. And it's being at home is such a joy. Like what Tim always says for even before children, it's like have hobbies, take a nap, do fun things. Uh, when you're not like cooking dinner, cleaning the house, like uh, educating yourself, reading a book, your time is your own. I don't know how the liberal establishment has convinced millions of women that working at some boring banal job is better and more interesting than just being at home doing things that you love to do. Right, I mean, like most people, because really all of us were tricked, you know, all going to college, don't go to college, it's all propaganda. So you get out of college and you find out this hybrid trade sort of scholastic holdover degree that you have will get you a shitty job at best, right? And so then a lot of young women are like, well, I don't really technically have to work because a single income household is still, I guess, sort of pop possible. That's what they say. It's sort of possible. But I, I, it would be a waste of time and a waste of resources if I'd gone through all that and now don't use my job. But they, they quickly find out like, oh yeah, I, get, I got the heels I got the the power suit, but I, it's kind of like I have all the gear and I don't have a game to go to. This isn't really the job I thought I was going to get. Now, some some the top of the class people might get the dream job, quote unquote, which is a weird mashup, like Steph said, of puritanism and, and far left thought, you know, the mm -hmm. idolization of work. But it's kind of like, or I could just go home and do what I was really made to do and be really, really good at it and be in a good mood most of the time. Yeah, I, I honestly would much rather be, you know, cleaning and cooking and because I love to cook and I'd rather be experimenting in the kitchen than sitting in an office for 30 hours, 40 hours a week, 
you know, beholden to some, someone else's time, time schedule. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is such a lie and it is just crazy that you could say, okay, here's a life where maybe you don't get every fiscal thing that you've ever, you know, you don't have enough money to do everything you've ever wanted, but you have time abundant. You have uh, a happier family life. You have a happier husband, just everything that's important in life is more enjoyable versus having a career being beholden to somebody else, uh, you know, doing something that may or may not actually impact the world in any, in any substantial way. It's just, I don't, I don't know why you would be, uh, blinded to think that the second option is significantly better than the first. Okay, good. So we've laid the foundation. Well, now having said all that, (laughs) I want to get to focus and this screenshot you sent me, Lauren, I want to get to it and treat it in full and then then we'll get out of here. But like, first off, you know, the young Catholic ministry on college campuses is focus. And many of the other faithful Catholic quality podcasts out there, probably all of them, aside from maybe 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 Marshall isn't big on focus. I don't I don't think he would be he'd probably be where I'm at. But most of the other ones, um, seem to endorse adjacent, at least semi-propaganda without knowing it. And I, I'm yes, I'm sort of answering my own titular question. In my opinion, the can we throw that thing on the, uh, the screenshot on screen, please, Stevie? This is at the very least semi-propaganda, in my opinion. One, why does everyone endorse it? Is it simple lack of knowledge that, that, you know, male dominion is the Christian patriarchy is Roman Catholicism. And well, let's start with there. Why would everyone endorse this such that now it's the mainstream position that, that male dominion, male domination is sinful, Lauren, it seems to be the mainstream position. Yeah, it, 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 I, I would agree with you there. Um, It is the mainstream and, I think it's so popular because we've we've just accepted it full stop. Um, so many people didn't want to have whining ladies. Uh, so they're like, ah, they're throwing a tantrum. We'll just throw them something to make them shut up. Not realizing that the more you appease a, a tantrum thrower, the more tantrums that they throw. Um, and this just kind of became the norm. Now it's like, of course, you you can't criticize a woman. Of course, a man can't dominate a woman, even though in every physical and mental aspects, like a man uh, uh, would would dominate a woman. I think I heard Andrew Claven uh, the other day say that for every strong woman, there's a, a stronger man. Um, that so it's just it's just a ridiculous proposition to say that uh, male dominance isn't a thing. Uh, because it is, it's just a reality. I, and even if you're reading this question on, on the screen, uh, the, the fact that they, they say the truth and then they have to completely backpedal it is, is just, it's wild. And I, I don't know how they get away with it. Wait, there's a narrative arc that goes along with this. We still have that on the screen, yes. right, Steffi? Yeah. What does St. Paul tell wives to do? To be subject to their husbands. Full stop. Full stop. That, that's it. And then you get all of these embarrassed backpedaling, uh, fine print, boilerplate, don't really follow what the Bible says. And St. Paul says this in five other places, it, it, this specific point, be subject to your husband. He says anti-feminist stuff in like 10 other places. And all the popes say it in about 20 places. And that show played deliberately two days before today, Lauren, uh, even though it's out of order now. But the note is that many commentators have used this verse to justify a sinful male dominance. Now, I will give them the benefit of the doubt. This could be genitive, a genitive sinful. It could be all male domination is sinful, which is where they're leading you. Or it could be partitive. Partitive meaning, well, there's a sinful male domination and there's a non-sinful male domination. The rest of the passage, I'll read it right now, seems to be leading you to the the uh, genitive one, which says that all male domination is sinful, but I don't know. You be the judge. This is not the intention here, they say. In fact, the point of these questions is exactly the opposite. No. Uh, we, that's what leads me to believe it's a holistic sinful. 
We begin with the most difficult portion of Ephesians 5. Why is it difficult? It's simple. I'm looking at it right now. What does St. Paul tell wives to do? To be subject to their husbands. That's the most simple part of the scripture I've ever read. Wives, be, be subject to your husband. Why do you call it difficult portion of Ephesians 5? Well, we do so for a dramatic effect and to confront a possible incorrect interpretation. What? That St. Paul is inerrant? That scripture is inerrant? Um, the intention of this series of questions is to bring about a new understanding of submission in which men and women submit to each other out of reverence for Christ, laying down their lives so that they can uphold each other's dignity. This is wrong. That's funny Met- because I don't see in that to be subject to their husbands, anything about each other there. No, I don't, I don't see that either. Do you and- see something in between those words about each other? I don't. It's like it's written in invisible ink and JP2 led us all down this wayward feminist path, but no, only men have to lay down their lives for their wives uh, as Christ did for the church, right? Right. So you were going through all this, in, did you mind sharing the narrative arc or you, you don't have to if you don't want to, but this, you saw this propaganda in real time in your Bible study and you red pilled like a whole slew of young ladies. Can you just tell us about that really quick? Because I think it's really yeah. valuable for the other influencers out there to hear. Yeah, I um, yeah, I saw this. Um, I'm leading it with another girl um uh, together but this this was the week that I was leading and I was reading it and I was like man that is just awful that is that is just blatant falsehood and uh and you're contradicting yourself um and I'd have to agree with you too that it's more of the genitive um way that they're doing it too because they talk about uh that they submit to one another and all that um but yeah we've been doing this theology of the body this is the first bible study out of the gate uh on it and um, they just got straight into how uh, men and women are actually equal in more ways than just dignity, which is false. Um, but the, yeah, I, I read that and I was like, nope, can't do that. So uh, I went to uh, my Bible study prepared with ask your husband in hand and was like, all right, let's talk about this, ladies. <laughs> uh, what does the scripture say right here? And I'll, I can read you at least three or four other places where St. Paul says the same thing. Um, I can read you at least five or six more places too, where uh, the fathers of the church, the doctors of the church and um, our Holy Father say the same thing as well. Um, And just said, hey, you know, disagree with me. Let's talk about it. Because I think that this is kind of the key issue here that we have to discuss. And the response I got from these women was amazing. Uh, a lot of the girls were like, huh, you know, I've never heard this position before. I was, I mean, I, I, I understood because I was in the same boat, but I mean, it's just, it is really crazy that these Catholic women, many of them cradle Catholic, some of them converts had never heard the real teaching of what Ephesians 5 says. And it, uh, wait, wait, dude, let's just pause there. Lauren. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. It's, it's irritating when you're listening to a podcast and the host interrupts, but I have to, I have, to, I want to draw out like some smarmy bastard. I want to draw out the language. Yeah. None of them. I don't know how many were in your group, but what a dozen or so. Yeah. Yeah. Almost. None of them had heard these lines there's basically one line saying wives must be subject to their husbands in all things in almost each one of the 13 or 14 pauline epistles it's like 10 of them say directly i'm not just talking about ephesians 5 the reason we talk about ephesians 5 is because john paul ii who was I guess some sort of Catholic feminist, even though he says women should not work outside the home in three places. He knew that there was a little bit of daylight in Ephesians 5, unlike all the other Pauline passages, which say, women, you're totally subject to your husbands in all ways. Men are like Jesus. You're like the church. You submit to them. Ephesians 5 is the one with the most daylight because it has the one thing where St. Paul says, Partitively, in verse 21, he says, women be, uh, men and women be subject to each other out of reverence for Christ. Then he goes through paragraph, verses 22 to 24, women, here's how you do it. Do everything your husband say, be subject to them. Not submit, but subject to them. Men, you must, in an analogous way, you must submit your life 
if things come down to it, you must forfeit your life the way Christ did for the church. So that's partitive in a way. That's not interpretive, but there was a little more interpretive daylight by which John Paul II could, I'm sorry to say, propagandize the whole church. And with that one line, look at what a huge error they've made. All of the girls, not one of them had heard, oh yeah, I, I, I've heard this tale before, Lauren. None of them, right? None of them. None of them had heard it. And when they heard it, they were like, this is, this is crazy. And it makes abundant sense too. Uh, you know, you've talked about this, um, how we're supposed to intuit the, the simple, the natural to the supernatural that Paul in this verse is not really talking about the male and female relationship. He's talking about the mystery of Christ in the church. Um, so it's kind of ridiculous to have to argue from Christ in the church down to what men and women should be doing. But I had to use an analogy to be like, Hey, so does the church kind of do whatever it wants to do and not submit to Christ? Or does it have to submit to all of the teachings of Christ in order to be considered part of the church? Um, and those ladies were like, wow, that, that makes a lot of sense. Like I'm, I'm understanding it, but it, yeah, it is kind of ridiculous. That we have to use the high difficult thing to understand, to explain the low and, ever natural and present in our lives. Didn't you tell them something like, so when St. Paul says, wives, be subject to your husbands, do you know um, every command that they give. You're like, now I interpret this interestingly, girls. I do everything aside from sin. You have a very good husband, uh, a superlative husband. I do everything my husband tells us to do. They're like, that makes a lot of sense. Now, what's the alternative? I mean, that's my curious, idiosyncratic interpretation. It's like, if I tell uh, Maggie, uh, who you know, Lauren, go across the street, our daughter. get the mail, your daughter who's old enough to cross the street, get the mail, put foot in front of first foot, walk straight to the mailbox, get the mail. After looking both ways across the street, come straight back, don't go anywhere else. And she's like, interpretation A, She's like, I need to go straight to the mailbox box, and then get straight back to the house. Interpretation B, uh, this means I can go all around town if I want. I can lollygag. I can take a nap in a creek on my way back. <laughs> and eventually I might or might not get home. What the girls in your Bible study said, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's as comical as someone saying that Maggie's interpretation A makes a lot of sense. It's like, this is literally the only thing it can mean. Obey your husbands in all things, right? It's, think, it's a joke. Maybe, I think the explanation away of, of St. Paul um, uh, passages, it always just boils down to, well, I just don't like it. So I must not be reading this correctly. <laughs> Let me interpret this in a way that I, that, that I prefer. That, that's what it all boils down to. Yeah, you have to you have to do a lot of things when you read that as a woman today. You have to get rid of uh, what you've been taught from day one, right? You have to get rid of that idea. You have to humble yourself and realize I was wrong, and now I have to make a new choice. And you have to give up all these things that you know seem great, but like we talked about, aren't really that great um, in order to live that lifestyle. But yeah, I mean, these girls, I was like, look, I don't go to the grocery store without asking my husband if the grocery list looks okay and he's got everything that he wants on it and that the meals, I don't make a meal without asking him first, is this what you want for dinner? Like, I mean, the most basic, basic things uh, that he makes a choice and they're like, huh, you know, I guess that is what that word means. And I guess that is, uh, that makes sense why you would do that because that's exactly what Paul is, is telling us. Have they, have they met, uh, uh, our beloved, your your dear husband. Have any of the girls in the Bible group met him? Yeah, a couple of them have. So they yeah. know that uh, T, we'll, we'll call a him, is a king among men, but he is a gentle, princely lord, lordly prince, princely lord, whatever makes more sense. One of the sweetest, dearest hearts I've ever had the privilege of knowing, and he's, he's actually an ex-student of mine. That's how we all know each other. Like one third friend at this point, one third little brother, one third son sort of to me. So uh, very, very dear. And uh, he's just one of the best men out there. So it's a joke. It is an effing joke for any of these people to be like, well, focus tells me or focus strongly insinuates that 
this would be sinful male dominance for you to have to check your grocery list with this with this misogynist pig it's like if you met this guy this guy's saintly you know he he's, he's yeah. easy going but not just not a cuck that's all i mean that's how i am too i mean i'm not saying i'm saintly but i'm i'm easy going i'm just not a cuck all these feminists out there you know some of the big ones we were talking about in the spring they're cooking up this imagined reality that that uh male domination is sinful and it's just imagined isn't it when you compare it to reality of your husband i think how i run my place it's a joke if anything i'm probably too laid back yeah um i always and i told my my girls this one at the at the bible study look let's let's throw out any idea that we're talking about an abusive relationship, you know, or like the actual, uh, bad male dominance. Um, we're, we're not talking about that because exceptions make bad rules. We're talking about every, uh, almost every man in the world that, you know, is, is kind wants what's best for his wife. Like Christ wants what's best for the church. I think when you put in that terms, it just, it just makes abundantly clear that, um, you're going to have a man who's not, you know, micromanaging everything, uh, who's not, not looking at your best interests and keeping that at heart. So yeah, it's, it's just a joke to think that male dominance is abusive and, uh, suppressive of women, um, when women honestly probably need to take a little bit of uh, suppression, take a humid, uh, a humility pill or whatever the saying is and, and uh, swallow their pride um, and listen to a man uh, every once in a while. Gosh, that's weird, Lauren. So you're saying that wifely submission in all things doesn't mean that women as wives can do whatever they want and they're really the bosses? That's, that's weird. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're telling me that when Christ tells us, you know, to love, love our enemy and pray for those who persecute us, that I'm supposed to love my enemy and pray for those who persecute us. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. That's that's what it's like. All right. So parting shot, this has been, uh, I think really effective. I hope lots of people see it. I know my audience the parish orphans and the retrogrades are pretty much already converted. What I'm hoping with any of these feminism shows is that they quote unquote go wide and are seen by other, not, not, not Catholic feminists, not the leftists. They're just going to laugh or write an article on me. They like to do that. But, but some of the parallel audiences and some of the parallel influencers that maybe aren't yet red pilled on this. And I, I don't have to name names, but I'm hoping and, and some of these shows do go wide enough that some of them see them. And I start on Twitter and social media, seeing it pop up. Would you just give a parting shot, Lauren, of what the other faithful, goodly, honest Catholic influencers and their audiences who aren't yet red pilled on the, the propaganda, in my opinion, that is being used by, by focus, how pernicious it is and how false it is. Would you, would you speak to them for a minute and take, take us yeah. out of here? Yeah. Yeah. Feminism is the single issue that is affecting the families and the households. It's affecting the homosexuality movement and it's affecting the, the transgender movement. All of and those the church. Can be traced- and the church. Yeah. And, Sorry. And, and most importantly, the church. But that it is feminism is the root of that, all those evils. Um, and it is just, it's time for good Catholic men and women to know and love the truth and live it out in their daily lives um, and teach it to their people. You know, I kind of went out on a limb bringing up uh, what Ephesians 5 really states uh, and really says to do in a, in a Bible study, not knowing what would happen. And it was amazing how receptive those women were to it. Um, and I think like you were talking about earlier with the, the TikTok influencers who show how great their life is as being a stay-at-home wife, uh, there are a lot more young men and women, especially women who are receptive to this to realize uh, because women are naturally just the more receptive uh, of, the, of the two. So do not be afraid to talk about this stuff 
um, to be red-pilled and based about this because we're not going to change anything in our world, uh, in our church, um, if we're not teaching that feminism is an evil and women need to listen to what St. Paul and the church fathers and the popes have all said for millennia now that women be subject to your husbands. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear. I'm really glad you, you I didn't know where you're going to take that parting shot, Lauren, but there's a lot of fear that I think a lot of these really faithful other influencers have like, oh, if I say this, they're going to, the women are going to jump all over me. And recently in Catholic influencer world, there have been in some instances where I think everyone thought that the women were going to jump all over some of these influencers for saying this or that sensible, obvious proposition. And they didn't. And the women are like, no, no, bro, you got this. We're ready for this. I, you know, th th this has happened a couple times. I like how you said, just, just take, it's not even courage because you're up against a bunch of girls who needs courage for that. But more than that, intellectual pluck, because if you say this stuff, women are sensible. Don't, don't placate us. Don't play down to us. We know we're not men, right? Like the Catholic world is ready to hear men, even men that aren't considered as far out there as, as me on this or women that aren't considered as far out there as Steph or you, Lauren Demler on this, they're ready to hear influencers saying, uh, yeah, when Jesus said, love your enemies, he meant you have to love your enemies. You don't have to like them, but you have to love them. When Jesus said, wives, obey your husband, or when St. Paul said, wives, obey your husband in all things, in five different scriptural verses, and women can't teach, I grant no women authority over men. Women should be silent, especially in the churches. He meant all of those things. So th thank you for putting that into your parting shot. I think that's the most effective thing that these parallel, goodly, we like them, Catholic influencers and audiences need to be hearing now. Thank you, Lauren. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been great. Everybody, uh, Lauren Demler, this, is, this has been uh, a unique opportunity to see what young college Catholics are hearing, what young converts to the faith are hearing, and you, what young marrieds on college campuses are doing. My, my parents were married and lived in married student housing in, in the UCs uh, in California, low those many years ago. And I think it's beautiful what, uh, what, what a growing number of students student couples, and by couples, I mean married couples, like you and young T are, are doing, Lauren. So God bless you. And thank you for all you've done for this channel. Uh, been a great, great friend to the channel. And more importantly, Steph and I and the fam as well. Parish orphans and retrogrades out there. Take heart. Mass of the Ages 3 will be coming soon enough to you and it will feature yours truly. So uh, you're going to have some a few other recorded shows like this one, pre-recorded and set to air on a few days. If you didn't view the show that aired two days ago on Saturday, go view it now because it is the answer. I purposely set it up before the show with Lauren Demler because people are going to be seeking to defend Focus. And by the way, any representatives of Focus national or international, whatever, whatever it is, I would love to have you on the show and come try to defend this indefensible misinterpretation, sinful female egalitarianism interpretation of Ephesians 5 or any of the other multiple places in scripture that you're, in my view, propagandizing young women with. God bless you all. Deus volt. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the 
Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit.